Part Five of Temple Trouble by H. Beam Piper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Five. It's about two hours to sunset, he said to Stranor Sleth. But as you pointed out, these Hulgans aren't astronomers, and it's a bit cloudy. I wish Cranor Jurth would call in with something definite. Another twenty minutes passed. Then the man at the radio came out into the temple. Okay, he called. The man at Cranor Jurth's called in. Cranor Jurth contacted him with a midget radio he has up his sleeve. He's in the palace courtyard now. Uh, they haven't brought out the victims yet, but Kurchuk has just been carried out on his throne to that platform in front of the citadel. Big crowd gathering in the inner courtyard, more in the streets outside. Palace gates are wide open. That's it, Burkhan Ball cried. Form up, the parade starting. Brunard, you and Tamond and Stranor and I in front. About ten men with paralyzers a little behind us, then Yatsar about ten feet off the ground, then the others. Forward, ho! They emerged from the temple and started down the broad roadway toward the palace. There was not much of a crowd at first. Most of Zerb had flocked to the palace earlier, the lucky ones in the courtyard and the latecomers outside. Those whom they did meet stared at them in open-mouthed amazement and then some, remembering their doubts and blasphemies, began howling for forgiveness. Others, a substantial majority, realizing that it would be upon King Kerchuk that the real weight of Yat-Zar's six hands would fall, took to their heels, trying to put as much distance as possible between them and the palace before the blow fell. As the procession approached the palace gates, the crowds were thicker, made up of those who had been unable to squeeze themselves inside. The panic was worse here, too. A good many were trampled and hurt in the rush to escape, and it became necessary to use paralyzers to clear away. That made it worse. Everybody was sure that Yat-Zar was striking sinners dead left and right. Fortunately, the gates were high enough to let the god through without losing altitude appreciably. Inside the mob surged back, clearing away across the courtyard. It was only necessary to paralyze a few here, and the levitated idol and its priestly attendants advanced toward the stone platform, where the king sat on his throne, flanked by court functionaries and black-robed priests of Muz Azin. In front of this a rank of Chuldun archers had been drawn up. Harv, move the Yatsar forward about a hundred feet and up about fifty, Verkan Vall directed quickly. As the six-armed anthropomorphic idol rose and moved closer towards its Saurian rival, Verkan Vall drew his needler, scanning the assemblage around the throne anxiously. "'Where is the wicked king?' a voice thundered, the voice of Stranor Sleth, speaking into a midget radio tuned to the loudspeaker inside the idol. "'Where is the blasphemer and desecrator, Kerchuk?' There's Labdurge in the red tunic beside the throne, Tamad Drav whispered, and that's Gromdor, the Muz Azin high priest, behind him. Verkan Vall nodded, keeping his eyes on the group on the platform. Gromdor, the high priest of Muz Azin, was edging backward and reaching under his robe. At the same time an officer shouted an order, and the children archers drew arrows from their quivers and fitted them to their bowstrings. Immediately the ultrasonic paralyzers of the advancing paratimers went into action, and the mercenaries began dropping. 
Lay down your weapons, fools, the amplified voice boomed at them. Lay down your weapons, or you shall surely die. Who are you, miserable wretches, to draw bows against me? At first a few, then all of them, the childrens lowered or dropped their weapons and began edging away to the sides. At the center, in front of the throne, most of them had been knocked out. Furkan Vall was still watching the Muz Azin high priest intently. As Gromdor raised his arm, there was a flash and a puff of smoke from the front of Yatsar. The paint over the collapsed nickel was burned off, but otherwise the idol was undamaged. Verkan Vall swung up his needler and rayed Gromdor dead. As the man in the green-faced black robes fell, a blaster clattered on the stone platform. "'Is that your puny best moors, Azen?' the booming voice demanded. "'Where is your high priest now?' Harv faced Yatsar toward Muz Azen. Verkanval said over his shoulder, drawing his blaster with his left hand. Like all first-level people he was ambidextrous, although, like all paratimers, he habitually concealed the fact while out time. As the levitated idol swung slowly to look down upon its enemy on the built-up cart, Verkanval aimed the blaster and squeezed. In a spot less than a millimeter in diameter on the crocodile idol's side, a certain number of neutrons in the atomic structure of the stone from which it was carved broke apart, becoming, in effect, atoms of hydrogen. With a flash and a bang the idol burst and vanished. Yatsar gave a dirty laugh and turned his back on the cart, which was now burning fiercely facing King Kurchuk again. "'Get up your hands, all of you!' Verkinval shouted in the first-level language. Swinging the stubby muzzle of the blaster and the knob-tipped twin tubes of the needler to cover the group around the throne. Come forward before I start blasting. Labdurge raised his hands and stepped forward. So did two of the priests of Yatsar. They were quickly seized by paratime policemen who swarmed up onto the platform and disarmed. All three were carrying sigma-ray needlers, and Labdurg had a blaster as well. King Kerchuk was clinging to the arms of his throne, a badly frightened monarch, trying desperately not to show it. He was a big man, heavy-shouldered, black-bearded. Under ordinary circumstances he would probably have cut an imposing figure in his gold-washed mail and his golden crown. Now his face was a dirty gray, and he was biting nervously at his lower lip. The others on the platform were in even worse state. The Holgun nobles were grouped together, trying to dissociate themselves from both the king and the priests of Muz Azin. The latter were staring in a daze at the blazing cart from which their idol had just been blasted, and the dozen men who were to have done the actual work of the torture sacrifice had all dropped their whips and were fairly gibbering in fear. Yat-Zar, manipulated by the robed paratimer, had taken a position directly above the throne, and was lowering slowly. Kerchuk stared up at the massive idol descending toward him, his knuckles white as he clung to the arms of his throne. He managed to hold out until he could feel the weight of the idol pressing on his head. Then with a scream he hurtled himself from the throne and rolled forward almost to the edge of the platform. Yatsar moved to one side swung slightly and knocked the throne toppling, and then settled down on the platform. 
To Kachuk, who was rising cautiously on his hands and knees, the big idol seemed to be looking at him in contempt. Where are my holy priests, Kerchak? Stranor Sleth demanded in his sleeve-hidden radio. Let them be brought before me, alive and unharmed, or it shall be better for you that you had never been born. The six priests of Yat-Zar, it seemed, were already being brought onto the platform by one of Kerchuk's nobles. This noble, whose name was Yorzuk, knew a miracle when he saw one, and believed in being on the side of the god with the heaviest artillery. As soon as he had seen Yat-Zar coming through the gate without visible means of support, he had hastened to the dungeons with half a dozen of his personal retainers, and ordered the release of the six captives. He was now escorting them onto the platform, assuring them that he had always been a faithful servant of Yat-Zar, and had been deeply grieved at his sovereign's apostasy. "'Hear my word, Kerchak,' Stranor Sleth continued through the loudspeaker in the idol. "'You have sinned most vilely against me, and were I cruel god, your fate would be such as no man has ever before suffered. But I am a merciful god.' Behold, you may gain forgiveness in my sight. For thirty days you shall neither eat meat, nor drink wine, nor shall you wear gold or fine raiment, and each day shall you go to my temple and beseech me for my forgiveness. And on the thirty-first day you shall set out, barefoot, and clad in the garb of a slave, and journey to my temple that is in the mountains over above Yoldav. And there will I forgive you, after you have made sacrifice to me. I, Yat-Zar, have spoken. The king started to rise, babbling thanks. Rise not before me until I have forgiven you, Yatzar thundered. Creep out of my sight upon your belly, wretch. The procession back to the temple was made quietly and sedately along an empty roadway. Yatzar seemed to be in a kindly humor. The people of Zurb had no intention of giving him any reason to change his mood. The priests of Muz-Azin and their torturers had been flung into the dungeon. Yorzuk, appointed regent for the duration of Kerchuk's penance, had taken control and was employing Hulgun spearmen and hastily converted Chuldun archers to restore order and, incidentally, purge a few of his personal enemies and political rivals. The priests, with the three prisoners who had been found carrying first-level weapons among them, and Yatsor floating triumphantly in front, entered the temple. A few of the devout who sought admission after them were told that elaborate and secret rites were being held to cleanse the profaned altar, and sent away. Furkan Vall and Branad Klav and Stranor Sleth were in the conveyor chamber with the paratime policemen and the extra priests. Along with them were the three prisoners. Verkan Vall pulled off his false beard and turned to face these. He could see that they all recognized him. 
Now, he began, you people are in a bad jam. You violated the Paratime Transposition Code, the Commercial Regulation Code, and the First Level Criminal Code altogether. If you know what's good for you, you'll start talking. End of Part 5